strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. I'm Robin. And this week on Notorious Knowledge, I'm going to talk about an article that I read. Oh, okay. She's getting scholarly on us. I'm getting scholarly. Well, first of all, I'm a dork, yes, and I read Archaeology Magazine for fun. And there was this little blip that I saw yesterday that I thought was pretty cool, so I thought I wanted to talk about it. So first of all, cannabis use detected at 2,500-year-old cemetery in China. (laughs) You were blazing three centuries ago. Yeah. So in Beijing, China... Reports that uh, show evidence of a ritual use of cannabis since some 2,500 years ago has been discovered at a burial site near the route of the Silk Road. Silk Road. Yeah. And that is in the mountains of western China. So gas chromatography and mass spectrometry was used to analyze residue obtained from 10 different ancient wooden brazers. The test revealed the presence of cannabis with a relatively high level of mind-altering substances. I can't even begin to pronounce this word, but it's also called THC. Yes. I was like, I was like <laughs> THC, it's, right? It's going to take me a minute. So um, there's this guy, Robert Spengler, of um, the Max Planck Institute for the Study of the Human History, and Yimin Yang of the Chinese Academy of Sciences suggests that the plants were placed on heated stones in the braziers and they produce smoke during ceremonies connected with burial of the dead. So they literally had giant tubs of mm-hmm. weed that they just lit on fire and they were like, yeah, man, sorry, your family member died, but like, yep, just so, chill out. Yeah, it wasn't just cannabis, but it was the high levels of mind altering substances well so yeah it's like um it's like the weed in california that you buy the dispensaries and you take a hit and then you want to like rip your own fucking face off yeah i know (laughs) the josh gates episode where he was like in a tent for oh god for like 12 hours oh no because like weed isn't like weed anymore and apparently Mm -hmm. there were times in ancient history that it was also incredibly, incredibly strong. Yeah, it says here that cannabis is known to have been cultivated in eastern China at least 3,500 years ago. So people have been getting high for a very long time. Good for them. I know, right? Good for I you. I mean, death is a real bummer. The way to celebrate it is to go freaking out of your mind. I'm for it. I mean, why not? Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? You're Let's already get- at a cemetery. <laughs> I mean, if, if I die, I'm there. I'm ready to go. If the worst happens, it's a convenient location. Exactly. I mean, all the family members there. It's like, I mean, perfect. Yeah. I don't worry about anything. But yeah. yeah. So that's my little blip for uh, this week. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, so, you know, everybody, just make sure that you're checking out our Patreon at, of course, patreon.com backslash Notorious Narratives. And then we're just going to go ahead and get right into it. Sure. Can you put another bottle of wine? Yeah. There we Jesus Christ. She got legs. She knows how to use them. I'm singing and my jaw's cracking. You hear that? Ooh. <laughs> That's not good. I have jaw problems. Are you ready? I'm, I am. Tonight, I'm going to tell you about the night the Midwest burned. 
So we are going to start this story in Peshtigo, Wisconsin, a small lumber town up a dirt road from Green Bay, Wisconsin. On October 8th, 1871, a Sunday night in this small town, its inhabitants retired for the evening after a night of going to church, a night of family dinners. A lot of cheese. (laughs) I certainly hope so. A lot of cheese. And preparing for the week ahead. But the citizens of this small hamlet were awakened by the sound of a train that rumbled and shook the windows. But this was no train. This was the sound of a monstrous fire that would take the souls of 1,000 of the town's residents. Holy shit. The date might sound familiar to you. You may even associate it with fire. That is because on this October night, the Midwest burned. On the same night, at almost the same time, the Great Chicago Fire broke out. This fire burned through the city of Chicago, killing 300 people. Mm -hmm. The damage was immense as the flames destroyed 3.3 square miles of the city and leaving over 100,000 people homeless. A long period of hot, dry, windy conditions and the wooden construction prevalent within the city led to the conflagration. The Chicago Fire began at 8 p.m. in a small barn owned by the O'Leary family. And though the exact cause of the fire was never determined... The legend goes that the O'Leary's cow knocked over a lantern. Damn cow. (laughs) Bessie. Bessie, again. Maybe she's been at a Chinese funeral. Bringing it back. Bringing it back. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Trying like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. The fire spread was aided by the city's use of wood as the predominant building material in a style called balloon frame. More than two-thirds of the structures in Chicago at the time of the fire were made entirely of wood, with most of the houses and buildings being topped with highly flammable tar and shingle roofs. Butt shingles. Were they butt shingles? I I don't know. I don't don't know, perhaps. I love a good butt shingle. I can call you butt shingle. Well, that's what they call me in high school. I hope that's true. I don't. (laughs) All of the city's sidewalks and many roads were also made of wood. Compounding this problem, Chicago received only one inch of rain from the 4th of July all the way until that night. That's crazy because Chicago is like, they have all seasons. This caused severe drought conditions before the fire, while strong southwest winds helped to carry flying embers towards Mm. the heart of the city. In 1871, the Chicago Fire Department had 185 firefighters with just 17 horse-drawn steam engines to protect the entire city. The initial response by the fire department was quick, but due to an error made by the watchmen, the firefighters were sent to the wrong place, allowing the fire to grow unchecked. An alarm sent from an area near the fire also failed to register at the courthouse where the fire watchmen were. 
while the firefighters were tired from having fought numerous small fires and one large fire in the week before. Um, can you imagine how difficult it would be now to be able to, like, I mean, you say they went to the wrong direction, and I believe that completely. Yeah. And these fire watchmen. And they don't even know, because yeah. you can just call them. I know. I know. It's like, no, you're like, going the wrong way. You're like ring a bell. flying them down in, yeah. in the town. But also, you know, these fire watchmen who it's like they're scouts, right? So it's yeah. like they are, their job is to look in the sky and look for any type of, you know, I guess, warnings or or evidence of some type of fire, of smoke, right. and like whatever it is. But if they're so high trying to you know, keep watch, how long will it take them to get a message down? You know, it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's insane. And not only that, what do they do? Just run? Yeah. It's like, or is it like they ring a bell and then somebody hears the bell ringing and then, and then they like, ring a bell? Yeah, it's like telephone. It's like, oh, yeah. 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 Who knows? And I mean, it's easy to understand how it got mixed up. Absolutely. So all of these factors combined to turn what would have been a small barn fire into a major disaster. It's a Bessie, man. When firefighters finally arrived at Decoven Street, the fire had grown and spread to neighboring buildings and was progressing toward the central business district. Firefighters had hoped that the south branch of the Chicago River and an area that had been previously burned would act as a natural fire break. So this area along the river that had already had a major fire, they were hoping that it would just kind of hit that there's point and just burn to, itself yeah. out. Yeah, there's nothing else to go. Along the river, however, were lumber yards, oh. warehouses, Good. coal yards, and barges and numerous bridges across the river. Just so sit literally just shit that can just, just go up in flames in a second. And watch it. You just know, at this point you're like, you know, let it burn. Let it go. Just yeah. let it burn. Wow. <laughs> As the fire grew, the southwest wind intensified and became superheated, causing structures to catch fire from the heat alone. It's called the Windy City for a reason. And also from the burning debris that was blown by the wind. Mm -hmm. So around 12 p.m. on October 9th, flaming debris flew across the river and landed on the roofs at the Southside Gasworks. I'm sorry. Did you say Gasworks? Yeah. That's not great. Now that the fire had crossed the river and was moving rapidly towards the heart of the city, true panic set in. About this time, Mayor Roswell B. Mason sent messages to nearby towns asking for help. Well, yeah. When the courthouse caught fire, he ordered the building to be evacuated and the prisoners jailed in its basement to be released. Oh, nice. At 2.30 a.m. on the 9th, the cupola of the courthouse collapsed, sending the Great Bell crashing down. Some witnesses reported hearing the sound as far as a mile away. Oh, I bet. Oh, wow. As more buildings succumbed to the flames, a major contributing factor to the fire's spread was a meteorological phenomenon known as a fire whirl. Fire whirl, like a tornado? It's essentially a fucking fire tornado. As overheated air rises, it comes into contact with cooler air and begins to spin, creating a tornado-like effect. That is insane. That's some sci-fi shit right there. Yeah, that's like a bad sci-fi movie. Oh my god! Yeah, that's like, like a twister on crack. Yeah, like if you saw this, like on um, like Sharknado, like but it was Fire Nado, yeah. you would think that it was like total. It's like if the movie Tornado bullshit. and Volcano combined had, had a baby, had a baby, and it was terrifying and destructive. And there as were most cows. babies are, and there were cows. That's it. I'm done. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. I'm done here. <laughs> Thank you. Mic drop from Robin. Good night. <laughs> These fire whirls are likely what drove flaming debris so high and so far. Such debris was blown across the main branch of the Chicago River to a railroad car carrying kerosene. The Why? fire. Why? 
I mean, it's just, it's like, everything was it, flammable at this time. That's the one thing it, you should know. It sounds like it was planned. Okay, we're gonna light this fire, and then at three p.m., a train's gonna drive by with kerosene. But then at twelve, but then twelve, we're gonna have like these seven horses coming around with all these like friggin' like steam rollers. Don't forget, or it is. don't forget about the gas works. Oh, the gas works. Yeah. Also, the coal yard. Also, at one p.m., drop like. I don't know, 60 tons of coal right by this by this bridge. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Let's have some lumber on this side of the bridge, you know, <laughs> get, get everything really going. Yeah. It sounds like it was planned and made up, like a really good heist, ugh. you know. The fire had jumped the river for a second time and was now raging across the city's north side. Also likely a factor in the fire's rapid spread was the amount of flammable waste that had accumulated in the river from years of improper disposal methods used in local industry. So now the water's on fire. Sweet. That's nice. Just it's all it's just fucking burning. Like I'm waiting for it to like kind of like, oh, it's just going to go into the lake kind of a thing. Like, oh, it'll burn off. But no, it's everything. No, it's jumping everybody yeah. in water. Because, you know, the embers are in the air. It's the same thing with all the fires yeah. in Northern California. It's like once I it's... Know. Those embers, and then they just land on something else dry, and they're just... Despite the fire spreading and growing rapidly, the city's firefighters continued to battle the blaze. A short time after the fire jumped the river, a burning piece of timber lodged on a roof of the city's waterworks. Within minutes, the interior of the building was engulfed in flames, and the building was destroyed. With it, the city's water mains went dry, and the city was helpless. Oh, my God. The fire hydrants. And the fire burned unchecked from building to building oh and God. block to block. Finally. What, what late, do you do at that point? I'm sorry. What, what do you do at that point? You just have to let it burn. It's like, it's like but it's they know, people. They, it's like, where do you go? Yeah, there was if nothing. the fire surrounds, it's like fucking Pompeii right now. Yeah. You're, you're stuck. You have nowhere to go. But. Or underneath Think ground. about. Going to ground. The fact that only 300 people died. That's insane. And consider the devastation so people were actually able to, to take shelter and keep themselves safe. Finally, late in the evening on the 9th, it started to rain. But the fire had pretty much already started to burn itself out. The fire had spread to the sparsely populated areas of the north side, having consumed the densely populated areas thoroughly. Once the fire had ended, the smoldering remains were still too hot for a survey of the damage to be completed for many days. Eventually, the city determined that the fire had destroyed an area of about four miles long averaging three quarters of a mile wide, encompassing an area of more than 2,000 acres. Destroyed were more than 73 miles of roads, 120 miles of sidewalk, 2,000 lampposts, 17,500 buildings, and $222 million worth of property, which is about a third of what the city was valued at in 1871. And just 300 people passed. Mm-hmm. Of the approximately 324,000 inhabitants of Chicago in 1871, 90,000 Chicago residents, one in three, were left homeless. Yeah, 17,000 buildings. 120 bodies were recovered, but the death toll may have been as high as 300. The county coroner speculated that an accurate count was impossible, as some victims may have drowned or have been incinerated, leaving no remains. I wonder about the animals, too. Yeah. In the days and the weeks following the fire, monetary donations flowed into Chicago from around the country and abroad, along with donations of food, clothing, and other goods. And for the grateful residents of Chicago, help fighting the fire came from all around the world. But that was not the case for the small town of Pushtigo. 
See, Peshtigo lost its only telegraph line in the blaze, leaving the survivors with no way to notify the government or any outside help. While the nation quickly learned of the Chicago fire, which killed about 300 people and destroyed thousands of buildings, the horror of what happened in Peshtigo went totally unheard of for many days. Unlike the Chicago fire, which had been the subject of numerous books, movies, and fables, the Peshtigo fire has garnered little attention in the American consciousness. The best account of the fire is written by Reverend Peter Pernan, the parish priest of Peshtigo um, and, uh, and the nearby town of Marinette. Around 7 p.m., the priest heard a great rumbling, like some kind of biblical thunderstorm. And now it's quotes. I perceived above the dense cloud of smoke overhanging the earth a vivid red reflection of immense extent, and then suddenly struck on my ear, strangely audible in the preternatural silence reigning around, a distant roaring, yet mumbled sound, announcing that the elements were in a commotion somewhere. He led a charge down to the nearby river. All were struggling alike in the grasp of a hurricane. A thousand discordant, deafening voices rose in the air together. The neighing of horses, falling of chimneys, crashing of uprooted trees, roaring and whistling of wind, crackling of fire as it ran with lightning, rapidly from house to house. All sounds were there save for the human voice. People seemed struck dumb by terror. In the river, the priest and the town folk thought that they would be safe. Surely the fire would stop when it reached the water. They would spend the night there, soaking wet, treading water until the flames moved on. A prolonged bath, the priest called it. But they were wrong. The flames darted over the water, as they did over the land. The air was full of them. Or rather, the air itself was on fire. Our heads were in continual danger. It was only by throwing water constantly over them in our faces and beating the river with our hands that we were able to keep the flames at bay. Not far from me, one woman was supporting herself in the water by means of a log. After a time, a cow swam past. There were more than a dozen of these animals in the river, propelled by instinct, and they succeeded in saving their own lives. The woman clinging to the log had disappeared into the water. I thought her lost, but soon saw her emerge from it holding, with one hand, the horns of a cow, and throwing water over her head with the other. The survivors emerged from the water early the next morning and spent the next few days wandering through the town like zombies, looking for family members, trying to remember where their homes once stood. The heat of the fire had turned the sand into glass. Whole families were found bound together in desperate heaps, charred beyond recognition. It is said that 200 men died in a single tavern. Some townsfolk, knowing the great anguish of death by flames, killed themselves and their children before the fire could. Oh, my God. The priest wrote, There a mother lay prone on her face, pressing to her bosom the child that she had vainly striven to save from the devouring element. Here, a whole family, father, mother, and children, lying together, blackened and mutilated by the fire fiend. One of the workmen engaged in the construction of the church was found, knife in hand, with his throat slit, two of his children lying beside him in a similar condition, while his wife lay a little further off, having evidently burned to death. The name of this man was Towsley, and during the whole summer he had worked hard on the church in Prestigo. Doubtless seeing his wife fall near him and becoming convinced of the utter impossibility of escaping a fiery death, 
His mind must have become troubled, and then he put an end to his own existence and that of his children. So that's delightful. (sighs) So in the days after, as word slowly spread of the catastrophe in Pashtigo, doctors arrived to help treat survivors. Pashtigo is just one of the areas that was damaged as the forest fires ran unchecked through northeastern Wisconsin, including much of the Door Peninsula and adjacent parts of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. These fires destroyed 1.2 million acres, and it was the deadliest wildfire in American history, with estimated deaths of around 1,500 people, possibly as many as 2,500. That night, the Chicago Fire, the Pashtigo Fire, as well as the huge fires in Port Huron, in which 50 people lost their lives, there were also fires in uh, Holland and Manistee, Michigan. What the hell's going on? The predominant theory. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) The predominant theory at the time was that all of these fires were caused by the impact of fragments from the passing Bela's Comet. Oh, the (laughs) comet. Though since. Scientists have determined that comets are actually quite cold upon impact, and this theory has been disproven. Sadly, and more likely, these fires were created by those that they destroyed. In that area, the setting of small fires was a common way to clear forest land for farming and railroad construction. On the day of the Pashtigo fire, a cold front moved in from the west, bringing strong winds that fanned the fires out of control and escalated them into massive proportions. A firestorm ensued with superheated flames of at least 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit and winds of up to 110 miles per hour or stronger. The diameter of such a fire ranges in 1,000 to 10,000 feet. By the time it was over, 1,875 miles of forest had been consumed, an area 50% larger than the U.S. state of Rhode Island. Oh, An accurate death toll has never been determined because local records were destroyed by fires. Between 1,200 and 2,500 people were thought to have lost their lives that night. That's a big gap. Yeah. The 1873 report to the Wisconsin legislature listed 1,182 names of deceased or missing residents. In 1870, the town of Pushtigo had only 1,749 residents, of which at least 1,000 people died. More than 350 bodies were burned in a mass grave, primarily because so many had died that there was no one alive to claim the bodies. The Pashtigo Fire remains the deadliest in American history. And that is the story of the night that the Midwest burned. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring. <laughs>